tonight's Bible reading, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. Well, if you put your Bible down after Matt uh, finished reading, you might want to grab it again. Also, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just uh, you might want to put your hand up and we could get a Bible to you. We've got some Bibles up back. Is it? Would anyone like a Bible? Yeah? No? Okay, cool. Uh, a lot of us use the phones these days, and I think that's a really good tool. And with the phones, we have been encouraging everyone week to week in January and February to think about downloading version app online because they've got this great uh, little widget that can put the Bible verse on the front of your phone every day. So the first time you wake up in the morning, the first thing you see is the Bible verse for the verse of the day. That's a really good way to start getting into the habit of uh, reading the Bible again if you haven't already been reading. Well, what we're going to do today is have a look briefly at Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to look at Jesus talking about how to be happy. Basically, in this sermon, uh, we see that Jesus is giving us a vision for what a full life is. What does it mean to live a full life? What does it mean to be happy in this world? And if you're like me, you're probably someone who really likes to be happy. Anybody else here like to be happy? Yeah, okay. It's a few people who don't like to be happy. That's interesting. But I think you probably were so happy you just kept your hand down. You didn't need to say that to me. You were happy just to be happy. Um, The thing about Jesus' teaching here in chapter 5 is if you read this, particularly in the quietness of your own home tonight when you go home, maybe before you go to bed tonight, just get out chapter 5 and have another read of it and just think about how profound these words are. Jesus has this incredible ability to say things in a completely powerful and concise way. And at the time of teaching, when Jesus taught the people, people used to say, who is this man? He teaches with such power. Well, I was listening to a non-Christian podcast the other week. It's called The Rest is History. It's actually my favourite podcast other than The Chip Lunch at the moment. And this podcast is a history podcast. Is there anybody else who's a history nerd here? A few history nerds. Okay, a few of us. Even if you're not a history nerd, The Rest is History is really good because Tom takes you through stuff that explains why we are the people we are today in this podcast. And one of the things he does as a non-Christian is he's actually fascinated by Christianity and the impact Christianity has on us. And he says that Christianity is like the water that we swim in. He said that we, even in Australia and in the Western world in the 21st century, we're like goldfish swimming in the water of Christianity. Even though many parts of our society have questioned Christian ideas and turned their back on Christian ideas, uh, it's influenced us so much that we can't actually get away from it. And interestingly, Tom, though, doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but he does believe Jesus existed. And in the podcast, he actually does an episode on Jesus, 
And his mate that he does the podcast with says, Tom, I just think it's hilarious how into Jesus you are. He said, I, I'm just fascinated by the guy. He's amazing. And he's asked the question on the podcast, how do you know Jesus is real? How do you know he's not just a figmentation of the church? Maybe, you know, a committee made up all, all his teachings. Tom goes to the Beatitudes, to Matthew chapter 5, reads out this list of blessedness and said, there is no way a committee could have written this. This amazing teaching is the reason I believe this man existed. He was the greatest teacher to ever walk the earth. Isn't that amazing? Yet he hasn't got to the point yet where he believes that Jesus, as he indeed taught in his teaching, Jesus said, I am the son of God. He said, I am, actually, just those two words. And the Jews of the time knew that for him to say, I am, the only person who could say that was God himself. So Jesus did teach that he was God, but Tom isn't up to that yet. But my question for you today is, um, do you believe Jesus existed? First question. Second question, do you believe Jesus actually is who he says he is? Do you believe he is the son of God? Thirdly, though, whether you believe in him or not, do you believe his teaching? How much do you trust what he says? Because tonight he's going to teach us an upside down world. He's going to teach us that the way to be happy is sometimes the opposite of what we would expect. And there's no better verse than that uh, for that than in uh, Mark chapter 5 verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now let me unpack that just a little bit. The word blessed is translated as happy. The word makaroya, uh, I can read Greek, but I, I will say tonight I'm not very good at pronouncing it. I've never been good at reading it out loud. Makaroya is the word that is used here in the passage. So makaroya is someone who, makaroya is someone who, this is the word blessed. And the Greek word for that, which is probably going to come up on the screen, actually. I don't know if it's come up on the screen yet. It might, may or may not have. Uh, if it doesn't, that's all right. Anyway, the word is makaroya. And what it means is it's translated happy or fortunate. Now, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because the word blessed is an old word in our language, in the English language, we don't really use very often. Except, although I did notice that Hipsters started using it again around 2008 and hipsters would say, oh, bless. I don't know if you remember people saying that. Does anyone here ever say, oh, bless? It was, it was often the girls who would say, oh, bless. And what, what does, oh, bless mean? What, what, what sort of context, you don't know? Yeah, yeah. What context do you say, oh, bless? Yeah. Bit of a... It can be a put down, but it can be... Okay, well, Jesus doesn't mean it like that. So, so that was really helpful. So, <laughs> so the, word, the word blessed means happy or fortunate. It doesn't mean joyful. It actually means to be happy. So it's quite, this is quite important because people do debate this. So there will be others who will disagree with me and there will be even maybe some of you here tonight who are going, oh, actually, this is interesting. But Jesus is saying, happy are you if you mourn, for you will be comforted. That's what he's saying, happy are you. All right, well, if we're going to understand what this means then, we need to have the Greek word for sad or grieving. I reckon that would be helpful. The word mourning is penthutnates. Penthutnates. Is that on the screen by any chance? Oh, no slides. Okay, we've lost the slides. Uh, Penthutnates means sad or to grieve. Now, when I read that, I was quite struck because... There's lots of words that you can use for when you feel sad, but grieve is a very strong one, isn't it? Grieve is like when you lose a loved one, you grieve. So 
You can sometimes use the word mourning like that too. You hear in the newspaper that when people go to a funeral, you hear that the mourners are at the funeral. So the word grieve is literally that sad. So the question I've got tonight is, how can Jesus link happiness with grieving? Because the two in my mind seem to be polar opposites. You can see, can't you, while we talk about Jesus' teaching as upside down living. How can Jesus be saying that you are happy if you grieve? Well, I want to try and spend about 10 minutes explaining what I think Jesus is saying here. Because there's a couple of things I think that he could be talking about here. The first thing he might be saying is, happy are you if you grieve because I'm really good at comforting grieving people. That's what he might mean. Okay? Happy are you at grief for you shall be comforted. That seems to make sense. And I think there's a sense of that happening in the passage. And it's definitely true in the New Testament in general. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, if you uh, have a Bible and you want to have a look, we'll go through a few passages tonight, but if you don't get a chance to follow along, I can give you these later and you can look them up yourself. But Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says those famous words, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So Jesus himself is talking in that passage about that kind of comfort, isn't he? If you are mourning or you're sad, I'm good at comforting people. I'm powerful enough to do that. I have more capacity to comfort you than any other person alive. Did you hear that? Jesus has more capacity to comfort you than any other person alive. There's a lot to that statement, but I think it's very true. In Psalm 34 verse 18, this is how God is described. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that beautiful words? So there is an assurance to us that the creator God who made the universe is also close to you. He's not far off. There's a, there's a, a religious view called deism, I think it's called, that says there is a God, but he's far off. He's like this cosmic clockmaker who's made the universe and then he's kind of wound it up and let it go and he's gone off to do his next thing. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is close to you tonight. And if you are brokenhearted Tonight, he is close to you. And again, he is closer to you than anybody else can ever be. So Jesus might be talking like this in this passage because he does draw attention to the fact that God can comfort and heal even in his presence. His presence in the believer through the Holy Spirit is enough to ease our emotional pain and our suffering. And as we go through emotional pain and suffering that doesn't leave us, we get encouraged because he is still there even if we are stuck in that emotional moment or travelling through it or coming out of it or entering into it. God is always near and he's always ready to offer his support and comfort. And turning to him is what individuals of the Christian church have done for centuries. For centuries and centuries, 2,000 years now in fact, which apparently is a approximately 64 generations of Christians. Individuals have been drawing near to God as their ultimate one for comfort. So, of course, Jesus could be comforting us in that sense in this passage, but I want to make the comment tonight that I don't think that's what he's talking about in this particular passage. Yes, he does comfort us when we mourn, but what is he talking about here? Something even more profound. Jesus is talking about rescue in this sentence. I want to let you uh, in on a little uh, moment of my life. I was uh, hanging out at home. Um, actually, I was still living at my house at Tarthor Place, which was next to my mate who used to play for rugby league. 
and I was hanging out one afternoon. He was probably watering the lawn, so he did do that quite a lot. But anyway, um, Sidey, uh, where's Sidey? Sidey either rang me or came round. I can't remember if he just came out of the blue, but he said, come on, Stu, let's go for a surf. Anyway, Sidey and I put the surfboards in the back of the car. It was late afternoon, it was summer, so it was like daylight savings. We chucked the boards in the back of the car. We drove down. I was a bit resistant to start off with because I was being lazy. I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like a surf. He's like, come on, man, let's get out and go for a surf. So I was really stoked that my mate had kind of dragged me out of the house to go down and get in the water. So I get down to the beach and I got my board and then it kind of occurs to me that in my rush to get down the beach, I didn't bring any wax with me. Now, if you're not a surfer, wax is kind of important because fiberglass gets slippery in the water and what you do is you put wax on the board, you rub it on the board so that your feet have got something to grip onto. Now, there's a little bit of wax on there, but not heaps. So as Sidey was paddling out, this is my memory anyway, it might be constructed memory here at this point, Sidey can check later, he's just sitting down the front, so I'm feeling a bit nervous, might not quite get this right. But Sidey paddled out, I thought, because I didn't have any wax on my board, I'd just muck around on what's called the shorey. So there was a few waves breaking on the shore, and they were quite dumpy, so that meant that they were kind of curling up and there were these kind of little fun little barrels that were crashing onto the shore. So I paddled into this particular wave and I'd get my board and I'd go sideways and I'd get this little tuck underneath this little shorey and then I'd roll into the sand, you know, it was kind of a bit of fun. And I was doing that for about 15 minutes or so but then I paddled onto a wave a little bit too confidently and I didn't really tuck in quick enough and I did what we call in surfing go over the falls which is you go over the top of the wave so instead of riding the wave I went over the top and unfortunately, I hadn't tucked into the wave. I speared straight down into the water, which was only about that deep. And I remember hitting the bottom of the water with my head in the sand, and I blacked out. And I can't remember what happened next. The next minute, I'm floating in the water, and I'd swallowed water, and I coughed, and I sort of spluttered. And I think I was in a bit of shock, because I just crawled to the water's edge. I can't remember the exact details, but I think Sidey came over. But the other thing I do remember is this clubby came over. Do you know what a clubby is? A clubby is a guy who goes to the club. And he saves people. He wears little pants. You know those little pants that they wear and the little hat? You know those ones? He had that on and he comes over to me and he was really good. He had a really good sense of humour. He said, oh, what are you doing today? And he started packing sand around my neck. And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm just going for a surf. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. And he started trying to engage me in conversation. I'm like, what's this guy doing? I just want to go back out and have a surf. And he's like, oh, I think we'll just lie down here for a minute. Yeah, just, just be here for a minute. And then I'm thinking, I feel this pain in my neck. And I said, have I hurt myself? He goes, mate, you might have broken your neck. So we went from like happy clubby guy with his short pants on and his little hat on, friendly guy, to serious guy real quick. He said, you better not move, mate. You're not in a good way. I started feeling sad. I was sad. But funnily enough, knowing Sidey was around and having this guy near me, that comforted me. So I think that's the kind of thing I started with. Is Jesus talking about that when he talks about this in this passage? Is he saying that if you fall off a surfboard and hit your neck and you might have broken your neck, I'll sit there with you to comfort you? Well, no, Jesus in this passage is saying more, and I want to illustrate from this story. Basically, what happens next to me is I'm on the beach with my neck brace. I'm a big guy, so they, they think to themselves, we're going to need a few blokes to carry this guy up the, the, to, the, to the ambulance. They called an ambulance, but as they were carrying me up, what I realised is the ambulance was a helicopter because they were really worried that my neck was... And now I'm starting to freak out a little bit. Now, is there anyone else here who's a hypochondriac? Anyone happy to admit it? 
No one else except for me. Oh, a couple. Yeah, yeah. Do you get, do you get the panic every now and again? I've got a bit of the panic. What if I can't surf again? What if I can't walk? What if I've really hurt myself? They've strapped me into this big thing, this brace thing, and they put me in the back of a helicopter, and another guy is talking to me, and he's like, mate, you'd better stay still, eh? I'm like, okay, I'm freaking out. But again, he was comforting me. He was really nice. It was good having someone there. Anyway, there's a mirror in the helicopter, which was strange, but you could see out the window, and we flew over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I'm like, far out. Which hospital am I going to? America? <laughs> It wasn't, it was just the North Shore. So we landed and out of the hospital came all these nurses and they picked us up and I'm lying there with a pair of shorts on, a bit bigger than the clubbies but not much. And I'm, that's all I had on and a, and a neck brace. And we go inside and I'm freaking out and they put me on a counter and there were 12 nurses either side of me and the doctor gets out a pair of scissors to cut my shorts off and I said, dude, that would be really good if you didn't have to do that. And he said, no, we're going to cut your shorts off. And all the nurses laughed and I said, very professional ladies, very professional. So, <laughs> so that was a nice moment. I felt comforted by that. They have a bit of a giggle. But do you know what really made me happy? They put me in the x-ray machine and when I came out of the x-ray machine, the doctor came up to me and said, mate, you're a very lucky boy. You've only got soft tissue damage, you're okay. I said, what does okay mean? He said, you can go. Your family's come from Sutherland Shire to pick you up and you can walk out. Here I was lying on this stretcher with my hypochondriac, I was going a bit hypo, and then I got told that it's okay. I felt saved. I felt rescued. I tell that story tonight because I think that's what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. Let me explain why really briefly. Let's have a look at uh, Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the verse that happens just before the verse we read. And in fact, if you want to understand the parables, sorry, the, the, the Beatitudes, we call them, this list of blessednesses, they all relate to that first one. They're all in context of that first one. And that's why I'm so confident it's not just being comforted like a clubby on the beach. It's being told that I'm actually okay by a doctor. That's the difference. The reason is because Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last week we taught on that, so I won't spend heaps of time on it, but basically to be poor in spirit is to be humble enough to recognise your need of God. If you know that you need God, you will be helped by God in such a way as you will not only be transported to North Sydney on a helicopter, you will be transported into eternity to stand in front of the throne of God with the multitude of those who've been saved in the name of Jesus Christ and have every tear from your eye wiped away and you'll be in the presence of your heavenly Father forever. That's what to be poor in spirit means. Isn't that wonderful? And then what Jesus does is he said, if you are humble enough to trust me, I can get you to heaven. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on, on and packs out how he gets us to heaven, actually. And what he's saying is that it's the gospel that gets us to heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven phrase there is what he started talking about in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 when he said after, when it says there after John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come he said the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is offering us the kingdom of heaven which is literally eternal life. Even though we die we can live forever. He is the only one that promises us a solution to our own death. But he says, if you want the solution to your own death, you need to know what causes your death and how I solve it. And that's what this passage is about. 
What this passage is about in Matthew chapter 5 is that it's sin that causes us to die because we are not holy like God. And so as people who are not holy, we can't go into heaven to be with a holy God. So it's actually our sin that stops us getting into heaven. But God loves you and I and doesn't want us to miss out on heaven. So he goes on a rescue mission for us. The cosmic clubby, Jesus Christ, who comes to earth not to save us from an injury in the surf, but to raise us from the spiritual dead, in fact. Because he died on the cross because he was the only one who never did anything wrong. Jesus had no sin. So his death on the cross can be transmuted to you and I if we accept him in faith. So if we trust that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, we too can be forgiven of our sin and rise from the dead. But remember the words of the verse before the one we're looking at tonight. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You need to be humble to accept that. And what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are those who mourn, is if you are poor in spirit and you are conscious of your own sin, you will actually literally mourn about yourself. That's what he's talking about there. He's not saying you're going to grieve for a lost one at a funeral. You're grieving for yourself. If you are humble and poor in spirit, you'll look at your life and go, wow, I am not that great. And it'll even maybe bring you to tears. So you'll actually be the opposite of my neighbour at Gaimie. My neighbour who goes, oh, I'm not perfect, but I'll be on the second team, I reckon. I'm a pretty good bloke. That's not the attitude you have to have to get into heaven. You have to mourn at your own sin. Now, I think this is one of the biggest reasons why the churches in Australia aren't full today and tomorrow. Do you know, in a census in 2019, a study by the Bureau of Statistics said that approximately 52% of Australians believe in God. 52%. That is 13 million people in Australia <laughs> believe in God. So why aren't our churches busting at the seams? Well, how many people go to church on Sundays? According to the Bureau of Statistics in the same year, 14% go to church every week. That's 3.5 million. Where's the other 10 million people? Why are the other 10 million people not going to church? They believe in God. Why not go to church? Because they're watering their lawn. And they think they're all right. According to Jesus' analysis of Matthew chapter 5, you can believe in God, but even the demons believe in God. But are you willing to follow God? Are you willing to be humble enough to believe that Jesus is the saviour who came to save you? Because if I was arrogant enough to say to that clubby that day, sorry, I'll be okay, my neck will be fine, I don't need a helicopter ride, I would not have gone over to the hospital. But I might have been really seriously injured. But unfortunately today, most people don't think sin is real, or if they do believe in sin, it's always someone else who's sinful, not me. But it's a very ancient concept that Jesus is talking about here. And briefly to finish, the passage we heard read tonight from Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives, and the release from darkness the prisoners. What's interesting about that verse is it's not just a verse that was relevant to the time of Isaiah, which is something like 600 years before Jesus. It was actually a prophecy about Jesus. So Isaiah had been given a vision from God to see Jesus. And he's talking here in chapter 
61 of Isaiah about this coming saviour and what he would be like. And isn't it interesting that some of the words that we've already used tonight in the service are present in this passage. Good news. Poor, broken-hearted, freedom of the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. The interesting thing is release from darkness for the prisoners can also be translated release from darkness for the blind. And I think I prefer that translation for our generation. Because unfortunately, I think our monetary wealth and our comfort has blinded us to the need of a saviour. And my encouragement for you tonight is that if you truly want to be comforted, you can be comforted in the knowledge that Jesus has come to set you free from your sin and to offer you eternal life. You know, there's a a great... um, theologian that I want to finish on. His name's C.S. Lewis, and this is what he says about this passage. He says, happiness is not a state to arrive at, rather it's a manner of travelling. It's not a state to arrive at, it's a manner of travelling. What does that mean? Well, the idea is that happiness isn't a fixed destination or an outcome in this life. It's not about getting that car or getting that job or getting that relationship or getting married or not married, or having kids or not having kids, of travelling, of finding the perfect church, of finding the perfect job, that doesn't bring happiness. But what does bring happiness is the state of mind who is someone who is poor in spirit, who travels knowing that their ultimate destination is safe and that nothing on earth can take their Jesus away from them. It's a way of engaging in life and experiencing the journey. And C.S. Lewis says that seeking happiness in external circumstances or material possessions is unlikely to bring lasting fulfilment. But true happiness is rooted in your attitude and perspective. So the big application of the passage today, if you are a Christian, is Jesus is teaching you not to try and find fulfilment and happiness where everybody else looks. But look to him and realise that he has set you free from the only thing stopping you entering into eternal life. And if you are not afraid of dying because you know you're going to be in heaven forever, then you're not afraid of living. Sometimes doesn't make it any easier. But you are liberated to stop living for yourself and to use your time here on earth to help as many other people get to heaven too as you can, to ease their pain to ease their circumstances. Isn't it interesting that for those of us that understand that Jesus is comforting us by rescuing us, it means that we can comfort others with the comfort we have received. And I'd love for you to think about that tonight. Is there someone in your life at the moment that you think could use a little comfort? Is there anything you could do for them tonight? Or alternatively, are you in need of a little comfort tonight? Well, if you need a little bit of comfort tonight, I'm going to hang around up the stage tonight and I'm really keen to pray with anyone who'd like to just have a bit of a pray to thank God for the comfort that he does give us. Because the thing about Lewis is he's known for his reflections on the human experience. He experienced suffering and happiness and joy and disaster. But his rich inner life was what made him happy, not his external circumstances. I think Jesus has rescued us from something far worse than we could ever imagine for something far better than we could ever hope for.